Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions or make a comment. And then following the show, you can continue this discussion on the Afrogenius.com and research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. In fact, Please like both pages, and congratulations to Afrogenius.com's Facebook page, 100,000 likes. That's fantastic. Well, leaving a legacy of your genealogy documentation is not a new topic for research at the National Archives and beyond. Antoinette Harrell described on this show how she has donated documents she gathered over the last 20 years to the Amistad Research Center at Tulane University and Southeast Louisiana State University. Michael Henderson will further explore what it means to leave a legacy of your genealogy research. And this is Michael's third time on Blog Talk Radio, and it is always a wonderful pleasure to have him discuss his research journey. Michael Henderson is an award-winning author, lecturer, and family history researcher. He's a lieutenant commander, U.S. Navy retired, and he began his genealogy journey almost 30 years ago. He is the author of this wonderful award-winning book, God Proof, My Genealogical Journey Through the Use of Documentation, his memoir detailing his discovery of an enslaved ancestor who gained her freedom in Spanish colonial Louisiana in 1779. In 2014, he was awarded finalist in the 50th Georgia Author of the Year Awards from the Georgia Writers Association, and he is the first and only African-American member of the Georgia Society Sons of the American Revolution. Isn't that fantastic? He is also a member of other lineage societies, including the General Society of the War of 1812. He is a lecturer who speaks frequently to groups nationwide and is the recipient of the 2013 James Dent Walker Award for 
Excellence in African American Genealogy, Genealogical Research. So let me give a warm welcome to Michael Nobin Henderson to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Michael. Good evening, Bernice. What a pleasure to be back again on your program. It's, uh, it's good to be here. How are you this evening? I'm doing fine, and it is always a pleasure, Michael, to talk to you. I, I can always see us sitting at the National Archives, and I think that, that image of us sitting at the National Archives talking about our research, was it over two years ago? And now you have a book? <laughs> And you have a book. <laughs> so we both have books. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we're talking about leaving a legacy. And why don't you tell us what are some ways family historians can leave a, a, a legacy? I mean, tell us what does that really mean? Well, let's look at a definition of a legacy. And, um, I, I, you know, what I wanted to try to do as I've looked at what I've been involved in in terms of family history research uh, is what it is that I would like to leave behind uh, so that someone can find later on in terms of what I've done in my life and things like that. And with this family history of genealogy, I've been spending a lot of time searching for ancestors and learning about their stories. So, uh, the definition of a legacy is something that has been passed down from an ancestor to a predecessor. In other words, somebody left something for you to discover, to learn about, to find about, and you're picking that information up and you're improving your life or you're living your life, and, and so you're making that connection. So uh, tonight's discussion, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, those of us that are genealogists and family history and the importance of understanding the work that we're doing in terms of documenting our research and uh, properly preparing it in terms of for future reference, making sure that the things that we're doing today uh, will not be as difficult for folks that are coming after us to find. And so leaving a legacy is preparing yourself to leave behind works that you have spent many, many hours on and you're now finding yourself thinking about what it is that you will do with it in the future. And so that's, that's the theme of where we're going to be heading tonight in terms of our discussion. Well, that's, that's wonderful for you to even, you know, suggest that we talk about that because so many genealogists, they're out there, they're gathering, 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 but what are they doing with it and where is the legacy? So let's talk about um, strategies that you or others may identify to help them consider leaving a legacy? Well, first of all, as I mentioned earlier, is, is this, that the, the, the documentation and the, the research that we're doing, uh, it, it, is part of a, it, it is part of our treasure that we're hopefully going to pass on to someone else. And it, uh, as you mentioned, I've written a book called Got Proof, My Genealogical Journey Through the Use of Documentation. And in it, I go through three areas in terms of becoming curious, which is that first phase whereby we all start off in, in terms of our genealogy exploration and our research. But then there's that second phase of becoming the family historian, the archivist, the gathering of the papers, the gathering of the documents, uh, doing the proper research to finding that the, these documents are significant for your specific research that you're doing in terms of your ancestral research. But then now we're looking at how we're going to preserve those papers and what are we going to do with them and how we're going to use them as a part of something that we're passing on in preparation for someone to come later on in life to either, as I mentioned, uh, continue from where we left off or add to where we have left off. And so what I want to do tonight is is really give you a sense of some ways in which uh, uh, the work that you have done, the work that you are doing, some of the things that are uh, some of the places that you can consider uh, you know, leaving and depositing those docu documents. And, and, I, and I have looked at in terms of how I'm positioning myself with, first of all, uh, is establishing that uh, somewhat of a track record of, of depositing my 
family history research through various types of institutions. And one of the ways that I've, I've, I've instituted uh, within my own research is lineage societies and, and looking really closely at how lineage societies can be a, a possible place where you can do that entry-level uh, depositing of one's information. And as you mentioned, I'm a member of several lineage societies, and I was utilizing that uh, those societies as a as a as, as an entry point, so that my research that has been documented and approved by the Lending Society in order for me to become a member could be one place where part of the research that I've done already can be deposited. Uh, I've joined. Uh, the, the National Society Sons of the American Revolution, and that was one of those societies whereby documentation, evidence of one's ancestral lineage had to be properly placed in order so that uh, the, the third-party adjudicator or the genealogist that was looking over to see whether or not I met all of the genealogical proof standards necessary to join the Lineage Society uh, looked at my records and uh, approve in order for me to become a member of this one particular uh, society. So I utilize that as a, as a, as a means of uh, securing one entry point. I've also looked at uh, publishing my works in terms of writing articles, uh, having a book published, uh, participating in a, in a mini documentary. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later, but uh, the Galvez papers that many of you have seen, that was another attempt of being able to tell the story, to get it documented in such a way that future generations could come along and see it through a video presentation. But it now, it resides now in the archives of PBS, whereby future generations can see a story based on a connection to my personal family's history that's placed in, in their archives. So again, I've extended my reach, I've extended my, my, my position in terms of, of as a researcher, but then also I've looked at within these individual lineage societies that I've joined or I have participated in, that I have been recognized, recently recognized, as you mentioned in the, in the introduction. And that is just what we call the icing on the cake. Uh, many of us are doing research because we love family history. We love the hunt. We love to find out the answers to the questions that have long plagued us for many, many years. And when we find these questions and answers and we're able to put the story together to become that storyteller, as we have all are aspiring to, and then uh, the third party recognize your work for what you've done in terms of uh, perpetuating your family's history, it's just icing on a cake. So those are the three areas that I've actually employed. Utilizing lineage societies as a vehicle of, of having my research validated and documented, uh, publishing my work in terms of books, articles, or documentaries, and then you know be, being honored with uh, these various awards that I've uh, been fortunate enough to receive over the last uh, couple of years. Okay, so with those three, let's start off uh, giving us a little bit more t details about the lineage societies. What are they? and why did you join, and then take us through the process you went to through to prove your eligibility. Well, lineage societies are primarily set up to honor the memories of ancestors that have participated in various types of events throughout history. There are lineage societies such as the Sons and Daughters of the American Revolution, the, the General Society, uh, which recognize uh, ancestors who served during the American Revolution. Uh, you have the General Society of the War of 1812 that uh, recognized ancestors who participated in that war that took place uh, from 1812 into 1815. Then you have, uh, you have societies that are, are, are designated or set up, say, like the, uh, uh, colonial dames, or you have the Mayflower the, the descendants. Um, and so these societies primarily are set up to pay homage to those ancestors that have participated in these various aspects of history that mark a certain time. And so when we as genealogists or family history desire to become members of these societies, one of the requirements that you have to do is be able to document 
your ancestral lineage from you linearly to that particular ancestor that was involved with that specific period of time in history where these lineage societies are set up to honor and maintain the, for perpetuity the, the history, uh, the, the remembrance, uh, the celebration of that particular time. I chose primarily uh, the three, uh, the four that I'm currently in because I have a personal connection as a retired military officer the, the National Society Sons of the American Revolution and the General Society Sons uh, I'm the General Society of War of 1812 were primarily uh, my focus because I wanted to trace my ancestral lineage through military service, and for a military officer to have gone back that far in time to find a patriot that served here in America, again I. I'm able to now connect my family to a part of American history in such a way that now it is documented. And the National Society Sons of the American Revolution holds that information of my ancestral connection for perpetuity. And in the event that other descendants come along, I've already done or initiated the, the beginning work to identify certain ancestors. I've actually identified, have identified particularly uh, in Louisiana, which is a somewhat of a unique situation here because Louisiana wasn't part of the 13 colonies. So uh, having found an ancestor who participated in the American Revolution in Louisiana makes my discovery somewhat unique for me personally. Um, so that was one society that I joined because I, I was able to locate an ancestral connection for my military lineage. I've joined uh, another uh, French-Canadian uh, uh, society because I was fortunate enough to be able to trace and document an ancestral lineage all the way back to Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And in finding those ancestors that were the early settlers of Montreal, Quebec, that too was, a, was an amazing discovery for me. So I, I've actually uh, purposed in my research to get that documented because being the first one in my family to have found this connection, I needed to take the responsibility to document that because nobody in my family would have known about this or will know about this un uh, unless I take the initiative to do that. So I went on and I joined uh, the Fidua, the King's Daughters, in the Carian Regiment, which is a society that honors the arrival of the uh, French females that came over from France and settled in Montreal, Quebec, Canada and married the, French, the male French settlers. So having discovered two individuals in my family that connects me to that time in history was something that I thought was, was necessary, and I wanted to do that. So I chose a particular lineage society that gave homage to those early ancestors, and I, I, I met the criteria for submitting the proper documentation, and usually the type of documentation that's required to to, uh, to trace one's lineage is birth, baptism, marriage, and death records. And being from Louisiana where the records are, are very well kept and uh, easily accessible to those that are willing to do the research, I was fortunate enough to be able to trace myself all the way back to that particular time period. Uh, there was another society that I, I joined also just recently and I, I, I got into this particular society because uh, I wanted to document an, a, a, another female. And this female uh, just happened to uh, connect me and my family to the early founders of Louisiana, uh, the Jean-Baptiste Bienville and his brother Pierre Iverville. And it just so happened I was able to find... Uh, uh, the, their aunt, who is my ninth generation grandmother. Now, discovering that you have an ancestral connection to these particular people, uh, it, it's, it's really hard to really try to explain to folks how you were able to do that. Well, I needed to document that. And so I found all of the baptism records, all of the marriage records that were necessary to linearly connect me all the way to those individuals. So that what particular society, the order of the founders of North America, 1492 to 1692, allowed me to process an application and file this application based on my research and filing these documents. So I utilized these lineage societies as a way of, of, of leaving my, my research, my documents for future generations to come along and possibly utilize it to make connection if in the event they desire 
to uh, become members of this particular society. So again, uh, taking the responsibility of once you have discovered something, documenting it properly, and then becoming a member of the society. Now, once inside the societies, you become a full active member of the societies. Uh, the National Society Sons of the American Revolution, I participated and, and arose to the position of president of the society. So within, with inside that particular National Society Sons of the American Revolution here in Georgia, it allowed me to participate in also assisting others to understand the process of becoming a member of that particular society, and also to be an example that a person of African descent or of a mixed racial back ancestry uh, could be a member of these particular societies with the proper identification or information. And so Wait, I've hold used on for my... a second. Hold on for a second because you're going really quick, and I want to just say a few things that are comments that are coming from the chat room that basically reinforces what you've just said. Shannon Christmas uh, wrote that he has always seen joining lineage societies as a phenomenal way of validating research for African Americans, especially when so many people attempt to dismiss the more illustrious oral histories of African Americans. Uh, True uh, has uh, written that she would love to find her uh, free people of color and, and that her direct line is leaving a legacy of military service with four generations of firstborn in the military. So she can really relate to what you have been sharing with us. Uh, there is a question coming out. How difficult is it to get into these lineage societies, and what are the requirements, the process? And you did mention earlier that you were able by way of obtaining birth uh, and marriage records and death certificates to prove your lineage. But can you just slow down and just help others understand that you're not just talking about joining a society. You're talking about actively engaging in the work of the society to, as you said, provide homage or to recognize your ancestors' uh, participation in, as, as you have mentioned, the military. So give us just a little bit more about how long did it take you to gather your information? How did you put it in the form that people would understand and say that your, your information was valid, you had all the evidence to support the documents that you found? Okay, well, that, that's a, that's uh, it's a good question because the 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 crux or the the meat of my my book got proof is is the story, the journey, and what all it took from becoming curious, becoming the historian, and becoming the storyteller. Now, the time it took to gather the documents uh, in order for me to uh, meet the requirements for the National Society Sons of the American Revolution. I, I actually submitted an application uh, in November of 2009. In April of 2010, my application had been approved. Now, the, the actual putting together the, the application, as I mentioned before, uh, when you're joining a lineage society, you're, in, you're having to document your, your lineal ancestral connection to a particular person in that particular society that you're looking at honoring. So it will take as long as it takes for you to gather the documents. Now, I didn't start off in my research looking to join a lineage society. Matter of fact, I did not start off looking to join the National Society of Sons of the American Revolution to find a patriot. What I started off with was a curiosity about my ancestral connection. And I, I try to, when I'm talking to audiences, try to give them a sense of as you are taking this journey of discovering who you are and who you come from, you are also learning a little bit about your family's connection through history. And the process of gathering the documents, learning about the local history through time will lead you back to a particular time period that you're starting to investigate whether or not ancestors lived during this time period. It just so happened when I discovered... Uh, 
uh, information about an enslaved ancestor who gained her freedom in Spanish colonial Louisiana in 1779. That right there was a moment that I could have stopped and just said, I'm done, I'm, I'm, I'm finished. But what, what, I, what I, I found myself thinking about was the time in which this woman gained her freedom, there were other things going on in, Amer- in American history or in America as we, as we considered it, or in, in North America, let's say it like this. So when I started piecing together what I had discovered in terms of my ancestral connection to this woman of color, who gained her freedom during this time, I also looked at what was going on in American history. And it just so happened that her story, her discovery, led me to a French ancestor who was her consort, uh, turned out to be my fourth-generation grandfather, participated in the local militia in New Orleans, having served under the Spanish colonial governor, Bernardo de Galvez. And that right there just energized my, my historical research because what I was now connecting was my local history to this American history. So the process of trying to join a lineage society is not something that you start off as a genealogist curious about your family. What you're doing is you're learning about your family and then you're connecting your family to aspects of history that you can document. And I'm sure many of your listeners right now don't necessarily have to go all the way back to the American Revolution. Document your ancestral connection to the Vietnam War. Somebody in your family went to Vietnam. Tell that story of that ancestor or or that relative. Somebody in your family may have served in Korea. Tell that story. World War I, World War II. Tell those stories. And then as you walk back further in time, I've just been fortunate enough to go back as far as I've been able to, and I'm now documenting along the way and hopefully telling that story. So what I'm trying to give the audience a sense of is that whatever it is that you're doing, don't just do it for the sake of just putting something in a, in a notebook. Develop biographies of these individual ancestors because you are becoming the voice of them of the of the dead because you are the you are memorializing them as the living, and so mm-hmm. as you start these stories, what you will find is, is that these stories can connect you or give you the stepping stones for these various lineage societies that you might consider joining sometime in the future. Now, the difficulties in getting into lineage societies, I, I would not say it's very difficult to do. I mean, it's a process. They, they are requirements, and if you meet the requirements, uh, you can go forth and, you know, satisfy those requirements. Um, a lot of times people will ask me, why did I join the National Society of Sons of the American Revolution, or did I know about the DAR, which my mother is a member of now? And I said, yes, I, I'm, I'm fully aware of the history of these lineage societies. But what I'm, I'm determined to do is, one, prove that my history is important to me personally, but then my history also connects to American history, and I want to be able to document that. And in these lineage societies, part of their goal is to honor one's ancestral connection to these time periods and to these people that participate. And if I meet all the requirements, again, uh, and if you have some problems with me becoming a member of your society, that's your problem. If I meet your requirements um, and, and I pursue that, you know, what can you tell me that otherwise that would say that I would not be eligible other than the fact that you might be holding some other problems? And, again, a lot of times people having to deal with getting over that. And because of the fact that I chose these four societies that I've recently joined, and for all intents and purposes with the local chapters that I've become, I'm the only one right now in terms of from, from an African-American standpoint. And this is 2014, and I'm wondering why is that so? Well, while I'm wondering why it's so, I'm also becoming an example. I'm, I've published my work. I've, I've, I'm continuing to speak about the journey, the discovery, just to let folks know that there are folks like us who are able to do this, who are able to have the conversation about family and family history, have an appreciation for the connection of history, and are able to become part and parcel of what these individual lineage societies represent. Those are what I am trying to accomplish as, as an example of one who's spending a lot of time, not necessarily as a hobby, but as a passion. And I'm hoping to inspire others to do the same. Again, you don't have to 
try to find somebody that fought in the American Revolution, find a close relative that's very interesting and write a biography about them. That's you know, right, and that, that definitely is a way of, of leaving a, a legacy. Uh, there's a, another comment coming out from Shannon. Many struggle with the preponderance of evidence cases that come with having to document a slave master, slave relationships that connect one to the patriot ancestor. And I think this is one of the, the things that you ended up doing with, uh, with Agnes. Uh, that is true, and the the Galvez papers. If you have a chance to view it on PBS, you can go online and type in the Galvez papers. It was specifically that purpose of why I thought it was necessary to to seek an opportunity, and I was hoping that that that, that the producer would pick up my 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 suggestion when I submitted my proposal that this document held a key that gave my ancestor freedom. But then there was another, there was, there was a small or a slight problem because now I had to identify her consort who turned out to be my fourth generation grandfather. I had to, mm-hmm. I had to find documentation. And so the Galvez paper is a, is a, a classic example of, uh, of the challenge that we as African Americans find ourselves having to go through once we discover enslaved ancestors who have gained freedom, possibly have had relationships that bore children, and again, now I'm embracing both sides of my family's history. I've embraced the slave, enslaved ancestors' struggles to, to have gone through and, 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 and actually was able to gain her freedom, but at the same time, I'm embracing that white European ancestor who served this country or paid a price so that the descendants, which I am one, can enjoy the rights and privileges afforded under the Constitution of the United States. And so my story, I believe, and the way the story has been told, gives hopefully it's a source of inspiration for other African Americans to know that it's possible. That, that you can find. Now, there will be some situations, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, make it seem as if it, it's, it's impossible, but there may be some situations where you may not be able to come to the conclusion or be able to identify that relationship. Um, I've been fortunate enough to five, find four manumission documents that have opened my family up to history that connects me all the way to the founding of Louisiana, founding of Montreal. And by, by understanding how these relationships were formed uh, through, and through the time during the French and Spanish colonial periods, I gained a better appreciation for history and for what my ancestors not only left me a legacy, but also what I now have to, you know, follow through with that. Now, none of this was written down. This was not in the history books. And so by me writing it down, telling my story, there's an African proverb that goes like this, until the lion has his or her own storyteller, the hunter will always have the best part of the story. God proof is my story, my journey, my discovery and my contribution to my family's part of American history. It is a legacy that I hope to leave, and hopefully any other descendants or, or relatives that may come along can add to it once I'm gone. And that's the okay. whole purpose of why, why we're doing what we do today. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a break, but you certainly have given us a lot to think about while we take this quick break and come back and continue this discussion, and we want to hear more about God Proof. So we're going to take a quick break and be right back.
to research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio or iTunes. You can also find some of the archive shows on my website, GenieBRoots.com. Now, I have opened the lines for questioning, and if you would like to ask Michael a question or make a comment, please call 646 646- Two zero 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 four nine one and press one to speak to the host. I will call out your area code and you will be live and on the air. Well, right before we stop talking or you stop talking and sharing with us, Michael, you mentioned God proof my genealogical journey through the use of documentation. So how does your recently published memoir actually leave a legacy? Well, it's my personal story of a journey, discovery, and the results over a period of time. And when I was sat down to think about how I was going to put the book together in terms from an outline standpoint, I wanted to look at what it was that I went through, and I found myself transitioning through three different phases. Now, these three phases that I transitioned through could have happened all at once, all all together, but what I did was I broke it down into three individual phases, that curious phase, that early stage of when I started thinking about or coming to realize about my ancestral connection to people that were and long gone. And it started off with me thinking about and asking my mother about her mother's maiden name, Matthew, and how that name came into existence. Um, There is an old saying that there's something about a family's name. Uh, There's history built up inside a family's name. And once you understand the significance of the name of a family, and uh, you can actually trace that ancestral line, that's what we do in genealogy. So along the male line, if you can trace an ancestral surname along a male line, you can go back many, many, many generations. So it started off with me with a with the curiosity about my ancestor's surname. Then I came as I got older and started asking more questions of my mother and my father and basically got to the end of their knowledge of our remembrance. They took me over to visit other individuals, and I found a, a cousin who was somewhat the family historian. She had been gathering. She was basically the family genealogist, gathering, collecting information. And she provided me some information about the family that both my mom and my dad did not know about. She gave us a couple pictures and a wire diagram with a bunch of names on it. But she gave me a piece of oral history that intrigued me to a point where I had to find out about that piece of oral history. And it went like this. They wouldn't allow us to use daddy's last name. It was passed down to from previous generations. Now, I never found out exactly who gave her that information, but it was a part of the oral history that was wrapped up with a lot of mystery, a lot of secrecy. And I had to then take the oral history, the the picture that she gave me, and the wire diagram, which I detailed in the book, Got Proof, and I walk you through the process of me learning about this information. And what I discovered having to study Louisiana colonial history all the way back to the French period. And one of the things that it opened up for me, it gave me a chance to look at my ancestors through the historical uh, context of living or being in Spanish and French colonial Louisiana because it was where I found the ancestor who was the female matriarch or that connector to my white European ancestry. And that was one of the manumission documents that I located. It was Agnes's manumission document that gave her her freedom. It was wrapped up with a lot of mystery of how she got the freedom. It, it, it dealt with a court case. 
when she got the freedoms, then her life proceeded on as a free woman of color, produced children, but the relationship that she also formed. So it was it was it was through that process that I've incorporated in my book got proof because I wanted to show the reader or uh, uh, have the reader come along with someone that's actually doing it, giving it from a personal perspective. And I broke it down into three cents. So it went from becoming curious, becoming the family historian, the archivist, the, the, the keeper of the records and seals, um, the preservationist, to now becoming the storyteller, which I am now doing right now. I'm sharing with you about a story that I learned that has been documented and has now been published. It is it's also the part of that story is in this PBS program, the Galvez Papers, that kind of gives you some additional information that actually expand my family and connection through that one document and the relationship that, you know, it went way beyond my wildest imagination, but it's now part of my legacy that I'm leaving behind. So in writing Got Proof, it was my way of saying that is now done. That's comp- I don't ever have to write that again. I'm looking at writing some bi- biographies on Agnes and Matthew individually, but that story, my journey, I've already told that story. And, you and told I that hopefully- story. That's right. And there's, there's so many, you know, people that are gathering the documents, looking at that family history, you know, even getting oral history, but they're not writing it. They're not putting it in a way that others will will see it and mm-hmm. that they can even relate to it in a book. So one of the things that you're really, it sounds like you're really encouraging others to do is to write your story. Yeah, I, I'm actually trying to inspire people to actually put it in their words. I mean, your journey mm-hmm. is personal. Genealogy is a personal journey. Uh, Many of you can recall the moment when you found something that you had been looking for. For It's one of those aha moments or one of those moments where you're sitting still and you're coming to a realization that you have a document that talks about a specific aspect of your family's uh, time period. It's a, it's a moment captured in time on a document, and it is a connector or a piece of the puzzle that is helping you to understand a broader story that might come about. That in and of itself is a source of inspiration to others who may not have gotten to that point. I, I right. find myself times when I'm, when I'm giving talks, people want to know not so much the mechanics of how, but what did it do for you? For you, for, for you? What did it do for me? Uh, I, I must uh, once again congratulate you on your, you and your effort with your collaborative book uh, with telling your ancestor story. And uh, again, it's just the fact that you decided that it was time for you to talk about your individual journey because somebody may be able to find in your journey some specific technique or a place to look for specific documents. I just come back from um, uh, a couple of days in San Antonio, Texas, having attended uh, the FGS conference, and it, it is a wonderful opportunity to, to not only meet people that I, I've pretty much been communicating via the Internet for the first time, but also to sit in some of the, some of the classes that, that talked about methodology, talked about, uh, you know, you know, the, the proper documentation, the, the legal aspects of doing genealogy, all of those good, neat uh, tools that's necessary. But your individual story, I believe, is the is really most important. Telling that story and putting it in your own words, you're leaving a legacy for that next generation to come along. Because think about it. If you don't write it down, somebody who's coming behind you will either may discover your pile of papers someplace one day or you know, God forsake, you're involved in some type of uh, tragedy. I, I've had, I recently, the family back home, uh, recently experienced several years ago, Katrina. The lady that I went to visit in New Orleans that gave me information about Agnes and Matthew, um, she lost her home in Katrina. She lost all of her possessions in Katrina. And six months later, in February 2006, she passed away. She gave me a part of the history, the, the, the part that I talked about. She gave me a picture. She gave me some names of 
by Graham, gave me a piece of oral history that I was able to flush out to find Agnes, to tell Agnes' story. So I just, I took the legacy that she left me in those three parts, and I expanded it, and I carried it on to that next level. And in telling that story, it allowed me to perpetuate the legacy, not only being the first in my family to join a lineage society, but to be the first in my family to document, produce a book for that next generation to come along. So what we're doing right now, what I'm hoping to encourage others to do, is really think about what it is that you're doing with your family history research. Uh, again, and we, we, we get into this, this one mode of just gathering and collect. There's a part that you analyze, you interpret, and you write. You put something down. And if, if you're not a good writer, find somebody that is a good writer and sit down with them and tell them the story and help, let them help you write the story. However it is you need to get the story written, put it down in your, in your, own, in your own words. But the, the thing about it is it's really our responsibility today because we have access to a lot of the tools necessary. And because of the time of the technology, we have the, cap the capability of doing that. So what I'm trying to do is dis dismiss I can't. I, I want to be the example of it could happen. It could be. You can do it. Uh, use me as an example. You know, I have done it. I started out just like each and every one of you, curious, you know, wanting to find. Couldn't stop, couldn't stop sleeping until I got my answer. But when I found my answer, I told it in my own words, and I published the book. And it, as I mentioned earlier, the icing on the cake was to be awarded here in Georgia with an award that represented um, my accomplishment that I can't even express how, how, you know, I just wanted to get the story told. And it just goes to show you, once you get the, the story told, you will inspire so many other people uh, that probably never thought it was possible. And uh, that's what I've been doing. That's the legacy that I'm hoping to leave as I process. It's, it's and not and it yet. is definitely a wonderful, wonderful legacy. But there are other issues that I want you to just just say a few more words about, and that's what do you do with the documents? I mean, you've gathered documents, you've written the book, so what has happened to your papers? How do you organize them? Where are they? And what would happen, God forget, forbid, if there would be a disaster in your home? What would happen to all of the good work that you've already uh, gathered? Please share with us a little bit more about that legacy. That, that, that is part of the ongoing planning that I'm currently involved with right now. Again, it's, I, have, I have folders, I have my documents preserved, those uh, various original records that I've had. I had the, the pleasure of doing a display at the National Archives here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I laid out seven generations of documents, and I was able to show the public during this, uh, this seminar that we were having here in Georgia, and it gave me a chance to look at the preservation process and, and, and how, once you get those original documents, what it is that you're looking at doing. I'm looking at institutions of where I will probably have my papers. I'm looking at the process of how that archival process will take place. My, my book was a, it was a way of taking and summarizing a specific aspect. I have right now a collection of, of, of different documents that I've, I've gathered over the years. Um, and like everyone, uh, coming to a decision of where these records will be housed once I'm gone, uh, preparing uh, in, your, in your, your will or your estate planning, that should be a part of something that you should consider as a directive uh, in the event that you don't complete the process. Uh, you know, uh, name a particular institution that you would like your information to be housed. Uh, my local university, I'm a graduate of Xavier University, that may be one place. Uh, there's a uh, Tulane University has the Amistad Center, uh, which is a large collection of, uh, of African-American research that's housed there, LSU. So I'm, I'm, I'm considering all of the various places that are possible. Some of the places that I've actually done some research you know, with the, the New Orleans Historical Collection, which is a private institution uh, that, that has helped me immensely 
with uh, finding information. So there are a lot of places where I can. It's now what I'm doing right now at, after this, having published this particular story, a lot of the documents I still need to use because I'm not finished with the publication process. I want to hopefully produce some more books at some later point in time. And so a lot of the documents that I'm currently use, utilizing now will be for that next several books that I'm hopefully going to publish in the next couple of years. So, yeah, that, that long-term planning is important, something that we don't think about until it's too late, and it's usually too late for us to think about it. But it's been part of my overall continuing gathering, collecting, analyzing, documenting, uh, producing uh, a finished product, and then, you know, storage for future generations to appreciate also sharing it with my individual family so that they could have copies for themselves. That's another way that, that you could uh, ensure that the work that you're doing is not you're the only one that has it. As I mentioned before, I'm the first one to start this process. So educating my seven siblings about their responsibility of maintaining their own personal files and family, uh, making that connection. So being able to be open with all aspects of how to go about, you know, processing one's uh, family history research. Right. And you mentioned educating your families. You know, how many genealogists, and I know we have hundreds of them listening to this call tonight, have gathered documents but are concerned that if something would happen to them, that everything might just end up in the trash? I mean, this is something for you to think about. Right now, Michael has mentioned, you know, what's going to happen? Are you going to put it in your will that your documents go to a certain university? Don't wait until you're so sick that you cannot start making those decisions. Start thinking about that right now. You've written your book. You're telling your story, which is key. You want to make sense out of some of those documents that you're gathering, but you also want to make certain that those documents are not thrown away that they are preserved some kind of way. So today is the day to start thinking about that right now. And so I'm just so happy that you even mentioned it. And, of course, leaving a legacy is just the key. So uh, Family Tree Girl, excellent. She talked about estate planning. Of course, let this be a part of your estate planning. You're talking about leaving a legacy. And most of the time when people think about legacy, they're thinking money, trust funds, your genealogy work is also your legacy that you want to leave. So we're getting very close to the end of the show, and so I would like you to just talk about, just say something about some of your awards, but also there was a question, has Louisiana recognized any of your work? Um, Louisiana has uh, the local uh, Lineage societies or genealogy societies that I'm a member of. I'm a, I'm a member of um, the, the Algiers Historic Society, the Louisiana uh, State Historical Society, uh, La Creole. Um, um, I'm trying to think what a couple of us. And I've been recognized at various venues and various time periods. I've had the pleasure of actually speaking uh, down in Louisiana, um, but uh, from a from a from a, a large state. I have not yet uh, penetrated or received anything from the state. But again, my, my research is evolving. Um, I'm finding outside of the state of Louisiana, uh, people are very interested about the connection. And what I'm trying to do uh, is to keep the connection alive in Louisiana because oftentimes being in Louisiana, we don't have an appreciation for our, the rich history that we have. And so living away has given me a fonder appreciation from being from Louisiana and being able to write about the history of my family, my family connection. So hopefully over time, uh, again, uh, the, my book has only been out a year, and, uh, uh, you know, although I've been researching publicly, the acknowledgement of what I've been doing has only been out for a couple of years. I mean, I'm not, I've not really been on the scene of, you know, publicly announcing all of the things that I've been involved in. And that's one of the things that I find oftentimes we as genealogists tend to be somewhat kind of secretive of what we're doing and how we're doing. And when people find out that you're doing some fantastic things, they want to know about it. So one of the ways I've been uh, employing was utilizing a blog, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, just talking about and giving folks 
an appreciation for what it is that I'm, I'm involved in from a genealogical standpoint, but the lineage societies that I'm a member of are the ones that have been acknowledging my work because, again, I'm inside these societies and they're seeing me as a living memorial to the testament of my, my ancestors' uh, involvement in, in history or participation in history going past. So from, from that standpoint, you know, awards are things that uh, are icing on a cake. I, I don't do genealogy for awards, but it's nice to get recognized from a third party outside the family. You will find Right, it certainly that, is wonderful to get recognized by others who have looked at your work and you have validated your work and they're validating you as a researcher. So what advice do you have for using your ancestral research to leave a legacy since we're going to close out the show right now? Any advice you want to leave for the listeners? I believe the most important thing that each and every genealogist in family history can do is, is tell their personal story about their discovery. Um, it, it, it puts not only um, a face, um, it, it makes a connection. I find that is far more valuable than just collecting a bunch of papers and sticking it in a folder and, and putting a cover on it. Uh, if you can tell about your personal journey, your discovery, what this history that you have learned about from your ancestors from the past, how it has affected your life, what it has done to you as an individual, how it has brought you closer either to family or how it has maybe pulled you away from the family. Because, again, you know, you'll probably find some things that you want to run as far away from as possible. Then you can start another legacy and, and running in a different direction. But I believe the most important thing is to tell your story about your individual journey. People will, will make a connection to that. It is, it is by far the most inspirational part of telling the story, and again, write it down, because again, we like to talk. We, we like to <laughs> remain oral position, but, but again, when you're gone, you know, unless you talk to somebody so well that they can tell your story, <laughs> then you've succeeded. But if you don't tell your story, uh, again, remember, until the lion has his own storyteller, the hunter or the other person will always have the best part of telling your story. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing those inspirational words with us tonight. This is the challenge, everyone. You have heard it. Let's see you put your personal journeys in writing to share not only with your family members but with others. We can learn from you. So please follow some of the advice that has just been shared with us. Well, I certainly want to tell everyone that we have a show coming up next week, Finding Our Slaves with Kanetta Alexander. So please join me next week for this uh, just remarkable uh, presentation and discussion about finding our slaves. Good night. Special thanks to Michael Henderson. And remember, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, research at the National Archives and beyond, and then tell your story. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and the Afrogenius Facebook pages, and remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton-Raji on Friday morning and Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Thank you for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and I look forward to you joining me on next Thursday. Good night. Thank you, Michael Henderson. Good night, everyone.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio.